Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health Options show, Direction for Truth, with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards. Good evening, Sherry. Good evening, Richard. I want to complain. It is so hot here. Remember, we were all freezing, and now it's just really hot. So is, is that the only safe thing to complain about, the weather? I think so. The weather is a good, pretty much a safe thing. And we're not, I, I can't complain completely because we're not, I'm not on fire or flooding. So I'm kind of, okay, it's really hot here too. But, you know, all right, it's hot. Nothing's falling from the have, sky. <laughs> you, you have had such a, a problem, a drought and then flooding and then fires. So I should feel very lucky with what I have and I should quit complaining. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> we have an incredible incredible guest today. Many, many years ago, before cell phones even, a gentle and very curious man called me at home asking me about my work with sound. He was very cautious, very knowledgeable, very respectful. But something came up very odd that day. And because of that event, which I'm hoping he'll tell you about, We've stayed in touch ever since. Larry Trivieri was that caller. Um, He has an astute mind for ferreting out what would make the world a better place. He's an author. He's a visionary. We will be with him in a few minutes, right after a couple of announcements. And he's going to talk about diet and ethics and hero children and health and outstanding health. I'm excited to get started on, but I need to tell people that uh, we're being sponsored today by the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health, and Mariah has just come to be with us for a month or so, maybe two, and she has revamped our entire website, and it looks wonderful. And for those of you who are watching us, she has added a couple of new things I can't get to. (laughs) I'm trying. Bioacoustically Speaking Newsletter is a very uh, big article on methylation, which is one of the things that we always do with people who come in to see where they're kind of stuck on energy or DNA or using their resources. But she's added a blog, and the new keynote is up. But Wix has been kind of uh, grouchy today, so the keynote is up, but I can't get to it. So if any of you can, you can put that in the chat for people what it's about. Uh, We love the chat. We love your questions. And our guest has agreed to take questions today, and there will probably be uh, a lot of them. Somebody just is chat, chatting me that they can't even get into Wix here. Okay, so it's just grouchy, and, and maybe we just ought to change. But the blog uh, is about, is frequency our new medicine or an ancient mystery revealed? We have, uh, I think, one couple of announcements. Alzheimer's class is coming up. We offer these two-day classes for free because we want people to make sure that it's really what they want to do 
and they don't need to waste um, money on something. Uh, Larry Trivieri wrote about this probably 15 years ago and said that it's the upcoming new medicine. We'll talk to him about that. But people are just now beginning to embrace these as uh, Mayo Clinic and um, MIT and Pfizer. Several of them have have come up uh, and are interested in looking at what we're doing. Over the weekend, I went to my uh, daughter's house in Michigan, and their air conditioner went out, and their Internet went out, and nothing much was working up there, blackouts, brownouts all over the place. And it was so hot that it was aggravating the bees. And I stuck my hand accidentally uh, on a door latch, and there happened to be hornets behind the latch. And, boy, the hornets hurt. And they throbbed. They got me right on the side of my thumb. And before I could even get in the house to to get something on it because it was burning and stinging, I had red stripes down my arm like I've been poisoned. Now, the hospital was across the street, but I just decided to play my own medicine, so I did an EpiPen by sound. And it took the pain away in just a few minutes. The swelling went down, and my thumb was probably twice the size. It still looks a little crooked. Um, but it worked. So we don't deliberately expose people to peanuts or bee stings or whatever. But when it does happen, we try to take advantage of that and use bioacoustics to see what's going on. It took the pain away and the throbbing away, and, and that was wonderful for me because hornets really get to me more than a wasp sting or anything else. Hornets are grouchy, nasty bees. I don't even have a word for what they are. They're just mean. <laughs> you, ever, yeah. you ever been got by a hornet, Richard? Yep. I think yeah. of hornets as like bees in leather jackets with with chains like bikers. They're fierce. <laughs> They're just, man, they are, have done a lot of camping, and hornets are just come up and like slap you across the face. They are fierce. They're not like bees out just flying around, doing pollinating. Hornets are tough. I don't know why. I don't know enough about them other than I've been, you know, bitten by a hornet. Gnarly. I love that picture. <laughs> Leather jackets and chains and motorcycles, maybe. Uh, we're going to be taking questions. I bet a lot of you have questions uh, of Larry. Go to Amazon and look up Larry Trivieri Jr. and look at all of those books he has written on topics from from health and visionary stuff to um, he's got a, a new book out about a, a little 10-year-old boy being the hero. And, boy, my grandkids loved it. Richard, do you have any announcements or anything that you want to ask or talk about before we bring Larry on? I'll announce a, a glimmer. This is an interesting uh, whisper, I think is what I would call this. The title of the article is The California Net Neutrality Bill Passes the State Senate Committee. So because net neutrality is still up for grabs, having to go through the House and being signed off by Trump, it passed the Senate already, but now we're waiting for the second shoe to drop. 
California went ahead and wrote their own net neutrality bill so that the state of California can have its net neutrality, keeping vendors from not ripping people off and not deciding that you have to pay more to listen to Sherry than watch an NBA game. I'm making all that up, but I'm just saying that it's up to the vendors if this does not occur, if the net neutrality doesn't stay in place. So the California Senate put together a bill to, and it went through committee. It's on the verge of you know being voted on. Now, I'm hoping that this will put some pressure from a monetary perspective. California is the fifth or sixth largest GNP in the world. So I'm just talking straight up money, which as we know is the power, uh, that this might influence the vote of what happens with the net neutrality bill in the Senate, in the, in the House. Because that would be really great, because net neutrality needs to stay as it is, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, a glimmer of like, oh, look, this is happening. That's kind of exciting. I think a lot of people are resigning from the Senate because they're seeing how how useless the whole situation is. But I see some movement in um, Hollywood. They uh, Roseanne tweeted something. I, I don't even know what it was, but it was offensive to somebody. And almost immediately they canceled her show. Boy, that's power, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Must be people in the beginning didn't like the show anyway. It doesn't seem like uh, one tweet is enough to get your whole show canceled. Well, she's but, been uh, the fra- I would use the phrase with Roseanne that she's been cruising for a bruise and she's an outspoken personality in general in any show she's been on. She's definitely been outspoken, so that may have been just the straw that broke the camel's back of like, okay, we don't want that in our network. I'm not – I'm totally – again, that's just all me making it up, but just from watching her, I can imagine how somebody would just go, no, we're not doing this. My mom always said, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. And boy, from what I can see of Hollywood and – Politics, there's a lot of miserable people out there as um, people are beginning to to tell the truth and be very candid about what is really going on. So that's what we want to bring to you, the information that's really going on. Could you introduce our guest, Richard? I'd be happy to. Larry Trevieri Jr. is a best-selling author and nationally recognized lay authority on holistic, integrative, and non-drug-based healing methods. With more than 30 years of personal experience in exploring techniques for optimal wellness and human transformation, during that time, Trevieri has interviewed and studied with more than 400 of the world's top physicians and and other health practitioners in over 50 disciplines in the holistic health field. He also served as editor and principal writer of both editions of the landmark health encyclopedia, Alternative Medicine, The Definitive Guide, and has written over 200 articles for internet-based health sites, including OneHealthyWorld.com and IntegrativeHealthReview.com. Trivieri is dedicated to sharing the wealth of potentially life-saving information he has learned about, with as wide an audience as possible in order to help usher in a new era of wellness and health care in the 21st century. Larry joins us 
to talk about the new second edition of the Alternative Medicine, the Definitive Guide. Welcome, Larry Trevieri. Hi. Thanks for having me, Sherry. Thanks for having me, Richard. Um, actually, the guide, uh, that's not a new edition. Um, the second edition came out just after I made contact with Sherry initially. Uh, my most recent books are um, a book I wrote with Dr. Michael Galitzer called Outstanding Health, which your listeners can find out about either on Amazon or outstandinghealthbook.com. And uh, earlier this year, I, I wrote a book that was published called Coconuts for Your Health, which is the second of what I jokingly referred to as my food trilogy. The first book was about apple cider vinegar, and then later this year, uh, I think in July, my publisher is releasing another book on on turmeric and its many benefits uh, for health, turmeric and its primary component, curcumin. Um, what I want to say right up front is, first of all, I appreciate very greatly the opportunity to be on the show. Um, I... <laughs> I had to laugh when, when Sherry was referring to me as visionary. Um, I don't regard myself that way. Uh, and basically everything I've done to create my career has been by standing on the shoulders of giants, and that includes Sherry. Uh, I think Sherry is one of the most uh, visionary people I've ever met, and she's do- what she's doing with her sound technology is really one of the key elements, I think, of the future of medicine and even beyond medicine, just the future of health because they're not necessarily the same thing. Uh, and as you mentioned, Richard, I've been doing this now for over 30 years and uh, have had the opportunity to meet many, 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 many different healers and physicians and also their patients. I've met plenty of people that were told point blank, put your affairs in order because we can't do anything more for you from their conventional physicians. And then they ended up uh, still having a desire to live. And uh because they did, they found their way to these different doctors and different therapies. And, you know, some of these people, when I met them, were alive 20, 30 years later in a, in a vibrant state of health. So as my mentor, Burton Goldberg, used to say, you don't have to be sick. And what I've done for the last almost 30 years is, is take the information I've used and try to share it with people so that they realize that there are options that are available and have been available for, in some cases, quite a long time. But, you know, for the most part, in the mainstream, they they really don't get much um, uh, promotion. So that's what my books are about. Well, I think well, we one of the, as I, as I look at this, uh, uh, I'll finish this, Sherry, and then I'll hand it off to you, that as I look at this, I just, I was searching around for you, and the biggest problem I had is I couldn't find a page that didn't have, like, half a dozen books on it. At least. And I couldn't yeah, find, well, like, here's his page that talks about him. It's like you are stunningly prolific in such a positive way. I mean, for me, we could do a show about each of the pages that I'm looking at now has your Outstanding Health book. It has the Apple Cider Vinegar book, the Acid Alkaline book, the Acid li- Alkaline Lifestyle book, the Chronic Fatigue book, a new Calm. That's a whole show unto itself, people mm-hmm. looking for Calm. And Coconuts for Your Health. I mean, I could... Any one of these. I mean, it's amazing. You have, I, in a certain way, we were talking a little bit backstage. I was around when the first edition of Alternative Medicine came out because I was in that community. I had a national mail order catalog in an herb store in the Monterey Peninsula. I was like, what? You know. And so I'm in the alternative field for a long time, and you cover such a broad range of great, doable, help yourself, 
and I understand why you and Sherry are such kindred spirits because that's really what Sherry's work does. And that's why I do what I do with Sherry because I'm such a fan of that. Here, grab your health. Try and do it yourself because there's a lot you can do. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the other thing that I would like to point out is we really need to redefine what being healthy means because if you ask the the average person, and this includes most physicians, they would just tell you it's an absence of symptoms. That's not health. That's just an absence of symptoms. Health goes far beyond that, and and to me, it, it... True health, and I'm not saying that I've achieved this yet, <laughs> but true health to me is is really just a vibrant flow of energy outflowing through your body into the world, making full use of your talents in accordance to your life purpose. And that encompasses mind, body, spirit. And mind, of mm-hmm. course, en- encompasses the emotions. Um, doctors are not taught any of this in medical school. In fact, uh, you know, some, one of the most basic key cornerstones of, of physical health, and now they're, they're recognizing it also plays a role in conditions such as depression and other mental health issues, is diet. The average doctor goes through eight years of medical school, and during that eight years of medical school, on average, receives 25 total hours of nutritional training and diet. In other words, wow. you could buy two or three of my books, spent a weekend reading them, and you would you would have the equivalent of those 25 hours. Um, so, you know, the focus has been primarily managing symptoms. We don't have a health care system. I always point this out. We have a disease management system. It's completely opposite to what a health care system truly would be because that focus would be on prevention. And if they can't manage the can't symptoms, manage the symptoms. With, with, with drugs, with then drugs, it's surgery then it's or it's, you know, we can't do anything for you. That's what they say. Or it's all in your head. That's another thing. People show up in doctor's office, I'm tired, I'm tired. And they can't, you know, your blood work is normal, this is normal. And it's all in your head because they can't determine what's going on. Whereas you have a technology that Sherry's developed, for instance. She's not the only one, but she's done a brilliant job with what she's done. And, you know, just you can do a sound vocal analysis of your own sound, your own voice, and it's like, oh, well, guess what? You're deficient in this. You you have an excess of that. It all shows up. And what I love about what Sherry's doing is uh, almost to a fault, she's giving so much of this away to empower people to take control and take responsibility for their health. And here's a very simple way to do it that's goes far beyond what a lot of conventional medical tests will even find until it might be too late or the symptoms have, you know, exacerbated. So that's my primary focus is letting people know that, uh, as Burton said, you don't have to be sick, and here's things you can consider. And that's why uh, I've written such a wide range of books all within the health field because these are all different topics that people can use on, for the most part, on their own. And, and you know, I think self-care is, is the most important form of care. You've always been on the leading edge. Now, there's conventional medicine out there that deals with nutrients and pathogens and whatever, but we're actually doing a different kind of medicine, and it's about math ways we can look at the vocal print and see the math in there. We just had a guy last week. He was one of the most difficult cases I've ever done. His hip joints and his legs 
just ached and hurt all the time. He'd been to 20, 30 doctors. Nobody could figure out anything. But the math said this guy has Lyme disease. And he had Lyme disease that caused a problem with acetylcholine that caused a problem with sulfur. And we don't know yet, but just giving him the frequencies of, of the antidote frequencies for these spirochetes that the math showed up. It wasn't any of his medical stuff. Um, I think that gives us an edge as humans, uh, the species, can look at this idea of math far beyond conventional trial and error. And well, you, you know, I, I love that, Sherry, because my father was a, a brilliant mathematician and he was also a math professor. And if you go to Amazon you type in my name, his math books will come up. Uh, he's no longer with us. He, he passed on. But he used to tell me from the time I was a young boy that everything, everything in the world can be explained by mathematics. I believe it, down to our DNA and even lower than that, out to the, how the universe comes together. And Absolutely. And a lot of this comes from science, but a lot of it comes from a very esoteric perspective. And I've always wanted to keep that perspective about bioacoustics alive. Would you tell the story about how we met? Sure. Um, I had seen you actually uh, in Los Angeles at some sort of, I think it was a New Age Expo or something I was attending. You happened to be in the audience when Timothy Leary was giving a lecture, and I think he was talking about virtual reality at the time. And so that's how I became aware of who you are, because you went up and introduced yourself. So I heard the name, it registered, and then I promptly forgot about it. And then years later, the, the first edition of The Definitive Guide had come out. Some of my other books had come out. And um, I decided to write a, an interview book. And uh, I sold it. My age, I, I wrote a proposal. My agent sold it. And I had not contacted any of the people that I wanted to be in the book beforehand. I just assumed I could I could interview them and they would agree. And so I called you, and you did agree. And I must say, even though the book is out of print, that chapter that I did with you was the reader feedback I got, and my publisher got the same thing. That was one of the favorite chapters of every everybody that read the book. So anyway, I called you up out of the blue, and uh, we were talking and I asked you to explain what, a, what you meant by a signature sound. And you did, and then you said, would you like to hear yours? And I don't know to this day how you did it, but with your voice, you, you transmitted my sound. And as I was listening to it, I felt like I had never felt happier, more joyous, more, more healthy in my life. I was like, oh, I could just bathe in this sound for the rest of my life. It was incredible. And so then, you know, that's that's that followed. We did the interview, and uh, the book came out, and you were in it. And then we've kept in touch ever since. And and so that's that's how we met. It was basically my curiosity. I had this idea to write a book. I knew the people I wanted to have in the book because I had been following your work. I had, you didn't know this, but I was following your work on online, and I was hearing about you from other people that I knew in the health field, and um, I was like, yeah, she would be a good person to put in this book. And, you know, the, the subtitle of that book was Visionary Views of Healing in the New Millennium, and, and I regard you as the visionary, not me. I'm just basically a purveyor of information. Um, I think my biggest talent, is, uh, aside from writing, is I have an insatiable curiosity 
after that time I was a little little boy, and I'm sure this came in from other lifetimes. I just was always aware there's 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 got to be more. There's got to be more than what we're told, you know, in, in terms of what the material world is all about. This this three D dimension of ours. And, and so when I found out about people like you, I was like, yeah, I got to find out what they're doing. And and so you know, we've developed a friendship. I'm greatly appreciative of it. And I'm I'm a big proponent of your work. I mean, anyone that's listening to this call, never mind my books, go to Sherry's website and take advantage of all the free offerings that are there because it can literally change your life in ways that you might not even be able to imagine until you start to experience it. I think it puts health back into the hands of the people. But one of the other fascinating things that I have found about what I naturally do is sort of a God-given talent kind of thing is the sound I did for you was a Capricorn sound. And I said that, and you, and you said, yeah, I'm Capricorn. And yep. it, com- it comes out that way, and I don't understand it except if you go back to math. And in the beginning, there was frequency, and frequencies bang into each other. And this note and this note makes that note uh, as music, but I think it also makes planets and how everything evolves. And I think you understood that from the beginning. Well, I think I did too, not to, not to toot my own horn, but I think that one of the reasons I did was because all of the reading I had done, this is this goes way back before I even became a professional writer, even started writing about health. But, you know, from the time I was a little boy, I always resonated with uh, ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. I always felt like there was a lot of wisdom back there. And, uh, and of course, my father being a mathematician, you know, Pythagorean theorem, so I found out about Pythagoras. But then I was like, well, who, who was Pythagoras? What else did he do besides come up with this theorem? And, I, you know, I started to find out, and there's actually very little that's truly known about him, but it was obvious that he had studied in the mystery schools in Egypt and then came over and he, he imparted that wisdom. And he talked about sound and he talked about frequencies and, and things of that nature. And so from a from a time I was basically a teenager reading about this stuff, I, I always realized that, uh, that again, as a boy, young kid, thinking there's got to be something more. Well, that was part of the something more. It was the invisible. It was whether it's light, whether it's sound. You know, to me, as far as, far as I'm concerned, all reality is based on a triangle, and the, and the triangle is love. And then out of love comes light and sound. We we exist because of love. You can call it God. You can call it whatever you want. You can be an atheist, but I think everyone recognizes that there's an underlying force to the universe. And it manifests through light and sound, you know. And in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the light, or was the word rather? That's sound. And from there, you know, creation, creation came into being, and it's sustained. And what we're finding out now, not just you, but other researchers in this field, is that when people start to get sick, the imbalances occur first in what is known as the energy field, and it's, it's both light and sound frequencies, that field that we have. And oftentimes the imbalances that will lead to physical illness will show up in the field years before they can be detected by the most sophisticated uh, diagnostic techniques for conventional medicine because it's in the field first. And as my friend, the late Valerie Hunt, used to say, you know, chemistry is, is a downstream event. Everything starts energe- energetically first. 
And the physical body is basically just the manifestation of that energy and how, that, how those frequencies are working. So if we have illness, as you know, Sherry, um, there's, some, there's something missing in the frequency or, 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 or another, another frequency imbalance. And sound can correct that. Light, there's, a lot, there's all sorts of different light healing devices now that are coming to market that are showing great promise. Um, there's a guy, for instance, I don't know if you know about this, but he's using sound frequencies. It's called no, Novo Biotronics, I think is the name of it. And he's, uh, he's trying to gather enough research funds to, to carry on his research with, with cancer, but his initial experiments are showing that sound frequencies can destroy tumor cells without harming the healthy cells around the tumor. Uh, you know, and if, if, this is led to its final outcome, you know, eventually, oh, you have cancer, well, here, just have a frequency. You're not going to have to have chemo. You're not going to have to have surgery. You know, that's in the future, and it may or may not come to pass, but that's what the implications are. And it makes perfect sense to me. You know, Rife was working on that level back way back in the early 1900s. Um, and, of course, his, his information was, was pretty much destroyed by the powers that be at the time, but uh, he definitely was onto it. Absolutely. Why do you why do you think scientists of the day have been so reluctant to take on the this ancient stuff that was known to work, even herbs and sound and prayer? Um, what's well, wrong with it? We can't get well, it through. There, there, there is. I actually, I don't necessarily agree with that. There, there are a lot of, lot of. Re, there is a lot of research in this field, but it's not the mainstream research. And a lot of it is just self-interest because uh, if you try to if you try to to go against the existing paradigm, as a scientist you depend on research money. I mean that's how you you know it's publish or perish, and you keep publishing studies and things of that nature and papers so that you get more research money so that you can carry out further further studies. And if the paradigm is all chemical based, drug based, et cetera, et cetera, and you say, well, I want I want to research, um, you know, sound. As a, as, a, as a possible answer to cancer, well, guess what? The National Institutes of Health is probably going to say no. And that's why this guy I told you about Novo Biotronics, he's trying to raise the money independently, you know, through crowdfunding and, and other, other means. Um, so a lot of it is just you don't want to, you know, it's human nature not to want to rock the boat. Security, a lot of people put an emphasis on their own personal security as, they, uh, as opposed to their own personal truth. And that's just human nature until, you know, their conscious, consciousness starts to elevate. Um, but I know, for instance, in the field of cancer, you cannot get any real sizable endowment from the National Cancer Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health, unless it's really looking at something that's either drug-based or now it's, you know, ge genetics. Everyone's talking about genetics, which to me is still missing the boat because, there's all sorts of evidence that it's not the genes, it's whether the genes are turned on or turned off. You can have a cancer gene. That doesn't mean you're going to have cancer. It means you will get cancer if that gene gets triggered. But if you, don't, if you take the precaution not to trigger it, you, you may not get cancer. On the other hand, you might not have a cancer gene, and you can still get cancer. So it's not the genes. You know, so uh, I think the scientists in that field are basically just chasing their tails at this point, and eventually they'll realize that there's there's more than that because, again, they're just looking at the physical material level. They're not looking at the energetic level. They're not looking at what effect a person's emotions have on their health. 
uh, you know, they're finally admitting stress, you know, is, is a major factor in illness, but they're not really looking at what to do about stress except, oh, here, take an antidepressant or something like that, which is not really the solution for stress. Um, but I think underneath all of that, there's just this growing upsurge that's leading us towards this new paradigm. You just happen to be in the forefront and have done so, Sherry, in a way that you, you know, you really haven't gotten the credit that you deserve or anything else because you're kind of, you know, you're you're kind of like John the Baptist out in the desert telling everyone about Christ before Christ is born, if I can use a biblical analogy, and I'm not even really religious, but, you know, look what happened to John the Baptist. You know, he, he you know, he, he they attacked him. And um, really, people that are trying to push through the existing paradigms throughout history, they've all faced this types of stuff. And, uh, you know, some, it's a, in business, they always say, being first to market is always the worst thing you can possibly do, because you, you battle such an uphill battle to bring your product to market, and then the powers that be that are threatened by it will eventually, you know, either buy you out or, 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 or circumvent you some other way. But then other people will follow who's ever first to market, and they'll, they'll have these innovations, and, and it's like oh, eventually it, ta- it, it, it takes hold. We're seeing this now, like, for instance, uh, I'm on a tangent, I know, but, you know, everyone was talking for years about, you know, Tesla and Elon Musk and his cars. And now there are people all around the world that are coming up with um, competition for his for his Tesla vehicles that in some cases may actually be superior and less expensive. And, um, you know, so eventually he 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 basically pounded on the door, but he's not going to be the only one that's going to own that market down the road. And I think the same thing is going to happen with what you're doing. Your work will eventually be recognized in a wide-scale way. When and how that happens, I don't know, but I'm convinced it will happen because it's important, and it works. That's that's the key. You know, to me, when I evaluate anything, I I don't care if it's conventional, alternative, or anything else. The first thing I want to know is, does it work? And, okay, prove it. And you can prove it. You know, you've got walking testimonials of all these different people that have benefited from working with you who came to you with illness, and then they walked away without illness, you know. So um, one of, I, I one applaud of, you. Thank you. One of the things that we like to bring up is things that we found that the answer's right under our nose, but conventional medicine didn't look at it and right under our nose, literally, by our, our mouth. One of the things we found out recently, which I think is astounding, is that people who cannot process all this protein the American diet has in it, it creates uh, gout or um, a gout-like illness, and gout, uric acid triggers, is it gout? Yeah, uric acid triggers a gene that puts you into hibernation. And when that is triggered, you can't lose weight because your body thinks you're in hibernation. So we want to do a project about that, which I think is in, incredibly important. I want to ask you about uh, your important book, but Richard has a question. Go ahead, Richard. Well, I actually I had a, an addition I wanted to add what you were talking a little way back, is that I think one of the other tricks or weaknesses of traditional Western medicine is that, well, all three of us, I think, are in a similar vintage. 
and you used to go to a general practitioner and a doctor, you know, maybe you grew up with that doctor. I was, I had that for until my teens when I had the same doctor that brought me into the world was my doctor, my family doctor. Now he did dumb things, but that's just because he did dumb things. However, now that as particularly in the, as, as technology of modern medicine has gotten more focused, you go to a dermatologist, you go to a gastroenterologist, you go to all these doctors who are highly specialized, and they so there's two parts to this. They don't look as the at really at the body as a whole operating unit, which it is. And the other part that I just find appallingly missing in considering health that we talk about, I I rant a lot about environmental exposure, is Western medicine seems to be completely for the most part oblique to the idea that the toxic load in our environment could have an effect on our health. And that just seems to be like not considered that it could be the tipping point. You could have a genetic proclivity and it could be tipped over by the amount of toxicity that you're exposed to. And they just are like, I don't know. That doesn't seem to be in their whatever. Well, again, it goes back to their training. Uh, And the, the specialization aspect is really intriguing to me because, as you mentioned, physicians in the past were basically generalists. They looked at the whole person. They said that they'd come to your house when I was a little boy. They, you know, I'm old enough to remember they, they, our family doctor would come to our house if something was going on with my, myself and my brother and sisters, the older, the older ones in my family, the older kids, um, you know, to, and they would sit down and they would ask questions and, you know, the visit would be at least an hour. And now you're lucky if you see your primary care physician. You're lucky if you get. I think the in, the industry average is three three minutes patient visit, and there's a script and go you know go see go see this go see that. They will take this drug. Um, and I'm always reminded of the quote. One of my favorite artists was Salvador Dali, and uh, he had a quote which I've always when it comes to medicine I'm always reminded of this was which was that specialization quote unquote specialization is for insects. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, the integrative doctors, I mean, it's right in the name, integrative. They look at a broad spectrum of possibilities when their patients come to them, and they don't spend three minutes with them. They, you know, in most cases, the doctors that I know and respect, like Dr. Gausser, with whom I wrote Outstanding Health, his first consult might be an hour, might be an hour and a half, and it's very, very thorough. And he'll ask you, you know, how's your life? How's your stress levels? Well, you know, are, are you passionate about what you're doing? Have you thought about maybe your job is inf- interfering with your health? Maybe, you know, are there talents that you have that you're not utilizing that you could be exploring via a hobby and stuff like that? He'll ask things like that. And uh, that's a hallmark of most of the doctors that I've met, you know, in the course of my career. So they're not specialists in the sense that there is my Ms. Burton, my mentor used to say, Johnny, one note. You know, they just knew one thing and that's all they knew. Um, they look at, as you said, Richard, they look at things from a broad angle and then they they drill it down to where they can find, okay, this is what's really going on. And, you know, Sherry's technology does the same thing. You get You get an analysis of the entire vocal profile and then from there, boom, this comes up, that comes up, this comes up, and then you can prioritize. Okay, this is what you need first. Let's take a look at that next. And, you know, and there's a sequence and as you go through that type of a path, as opposed to here, just take this drug and call me in the morning, you start to really unfold into deeper and deeper levels of wellness. 
And usually what occurs in that process is not just the physical body gets better, but as your energy starts to come up and you're, you, you start to just reconnect with, you know, maybe dreams that you, sh- you shut down, you know, when you're a kid, maybe, oh, I wanted to do that, and, well, I can't do it. It's not impractical. It's, it's, not, it's impractical. And yet, you know, maybe I'll start to do this. And, for instance, I, years ago, um, well, actually decades ago, uh, I had the opportunity to, to meet and interview a number of uh, previous stage four end-stage cancer patients, probably around 20 of them, men and women, different different walks of life. And they had all, their cancers were all in remission. They were all alive 10 to 20, some cases 30 years later, and they were all extremely healthy. Uh, and I'll never forget the first patient, or previous patient, because she no longer was a patient, but the first per- woman I interviewed, she shocked me because she said, Larry, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I looked at her like, she, I mean, she literally had done all this chemo and all the, uh, you know, radiation and everything else, and she nearly died, and it was horrific. As she explained what she's gone through, and in the next breath, she's telling me it's the best thing that ever happened to her. So I looked at her, it's like puzzled as can be. It's like, how can that be? She goes, oh, because I realized my whole life was the opposite of what I wanted it to be. I loved my husband, but I no longer wanted to be married with him. to him. I, I was in a career I absolutely hated, and I always wanted to do something else. And on and on and on. And so as she was on her deathbed, seemingly, she started to regret all these things, that these choices that she'd made. And she vowed that if she ever got better, she would change things. And so she did. She did get better. And she ended up amicably divorcing her husband, ended up finding another man that she was very happily married to. And she went and, and, and created a successful career based around what she really wanted to do when she was a teenager. Uh, and as I was listening to this, I'm thinking, well, that could have just been, you know, one in a million case. I wonder if this is true for other people. And then as I started to interview these other patients, former patients, they all, in one way or another, said pretty much the same thing. It was a wake-up call. It, it, it brought them back to what they felt internally was their true purpose in life and what they really wanted to be doing. And, you know, so I, I'm convinced that we we get – sick when we get sick because it's it's a part of us whether that you know there's obviously the toxins and all the crap that's in our food and et cetera, et cetera. that's all a big part of it there's no question about it but i'm also convinced that the other component about it is that it's just life saying hey wake up you know take a look at what you're doing with your life if if you're not flowing freely then you're going to be in a state of dis-ease d-i-s hyphen ease and from there if you stay in that state, it'll eventually manifest as illness. So it's really, to me, getting healthy, part of it is is really recognizing or focusing on what your life purpose is. And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, from the time they're in school, that's, that's just like, don't think about that. That's not practical. So they don't. And yet I think that all of us have a unique life purpose, and I always believe, have always believed from the time I was a little boy, because that's what I did, is that you have talents. And your talents are also basically play into what you were curious and enjoyed doing the most when you were young. And that's how you develop those talents. And if you make use of those talents in a way that serves others, you'll be successful. And by and large, you, you won't be uh, as prevalently predisposed to illness as other people are. It's like, for instance, you look at a lot of these wonderful classical musicians, you know, they're performing in their 90s, 
and you know giving concerts all around the world it's because they love what they're doing those people aren't stressed and if they are it's just as soon as they pick up their instrument the stress goes away so they found a way to 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 maximize their energy and to me the, the older i get the more i explore health the more i realize well that's really what it's all about it's finding your purpose and living it and your purpose seems to be from from over here did you discover that your purpose was being a researcher and then an advocate for what you had just figured out? Well, um, my path was, uh, I knew I was going to be ready from the time I was a very little boy. And people laugh, but the reason I knew that was when I was a little boy, my mother for Christmas one year bought me the uh, children's version of Tarzan of the Apes. And I just devoured that book. I read it over and over and over again, and I just kept thinking, God, this, this, and then I found out about Edgar Rice's, Rice Burroughs, the author of it, and his life history, and he had failed at everything until he started writing fiction, and then he became one of the wealthiest authors in, in the world. And um, I just thought to myself, wow, it'd be so cool to be a writer. And I also, from the time I was young, I, I liked learning things and I liked sharing things, sometimes to the point where people were like, Larry, just shut up. We don't care. <laughs> you know. But that, that was my – I still encounter that. But um, but that was my interest. I liked taking what I'd learned, if it worked, and, and sharing it with people. And, and um, so I was always writing. I, I dropped I, – people don't – most people don't realize this, but I don't have a college degree. I dropped out of college when I should have been in high school. I was kind of bored of school. And most of what I was learning, I was learning by myself in the library because I just loved reading. And, um, and then I moved to New York, did a whole bunch of odd jobs, starting driving a cab and things of that nature, and ended up being a proofreader and, and technical copywriter on, uh, copy editor on, on Wall Street as a freelancer, little knowing that it was preparing me for what was going to become my career path. Um, and during that time, I had two minor but chronic uh, one after another, year year apart. I, I developed chronic bronchitis, which the doc, you know, conventional medicine didn't really help me with. And then the following year, I developed a kidney stone, which didn't pass. And uh, in the first case, acupuncture, single acupuncture treatment, cured my bronchitis after I dealt with it for over four months. And uh, in the second case, a single homeopathic remedy. Uh, I passed my my kidney stone with no problem, and I was just just amazed. Like how could how come doctors don't know about this stuff? And so I started to read about these things. And then I, out of curiosity, I didn't have health problems. I started to check out other different types of alternative therapies. And by four or five years later, I had a pretty good working knowledge about all this stuff. And uh, then I started having a series of dreams that told me I was supposed to move to Los Angeles. I didn't know why because I hated Los Angeles the only time I'd been there. But I I went. I I knew the dreams were significant, and I had to heed them, so I went. And that's where I met Burton, and the next thing you know, um, we created Alternative Medicine as a Definitive Guide. And if I hadn't had that lay knowledge that I had picked up just out of curiosity while I was living in New York City, he never would have hired me. And yet I could, you know, I, my first interview, we sat down and he asked me some questions and I, you know, I was able to answer them and say, okay, we'll give you a chance. He hired me for initially for uh, two, two, two weeks. And in those two weeks, I had to tell him his book was terrible. <laughs> so he had to go back to scratch and <laughs> instead of getting upset with me, he, he, uh, he, he promptly promoted me to editor. And, 
you know, that's where I really got my college education because for the next two years I was interviewing doctors all over the place, including the late Linus Pauling, and learning all these all these wonderful, wonderful pieces of information that I've been sharing ever since. So that was my life purpose, was, was to share information. I was and you, laughing. And you, yeah, go ahead. I was laughing when you said that about, you know, people told you to shut up and go away or, you know, you <laughs> talked about things so much. That's why I do radio because my friends are pretty much like, stop talking to me about it, whatever yep. it is. Because yep. not unlike yourself, once I learn about something and I get excited and then I do research and see its validity, like Sherry's work, mm-hmm. you know, it's amazing. And I want to tell people about it. And there are people like, I don't want to hear about it. Let's go watch a movie. Let's go. You know, they're <laughs> just, they're not, you know, they, they trust me, they honor me. And when they have a problem, not unlike yourself, they often call and go, what do you think about this? But in between, they don't want to hear about it. You know, they just. Well, you know, that's, that my doctor friends have told me they have the same experience. You know, they have, some of the doctors I know are absolutely brilliant. They're they're, they're creating miracles, on a, you know, on a regular basis with their patients, and, and yet their own siblings and cousins and you know people like that they don't want to know the first thing about it. They think they're nuts because you know it's not what their conventional doctor is supposed to be doing. Um, you know, and you can't take it personally. It's just you put it out there, and whoever who supposed to benefit from it will find it that's the way i look at it you know and, and you know obviously i most of my readers i'll i'll never met you know my i've sold all told i've sold my books have sold over a million copies so i, I obviously i'm not going to meet all my readers but the ones that i do meet uh it's always very gratifying you know it's all oh, your book was so important to me that type of thing and not a single one of them are people that i know personally so you, you plant the seeds, and you you know after that your responsibility is over. You, as long as you've planted the seeds, that's your responsibility, and whoever finds it is meant to find it. It's the way I look at it. I have a three-part question. Okay. Of, of the people that you have met that are leaders and uh, people in the know and innovators, what do you perceive as the most problematic issue? in our society, which book addresses that, and and will it tell us what to do about it? Well, I'll flip it on you, Sherry. I don't really look at problems. I, 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 I used to. I used to. I used to get very upset with the uh, medical monopoly and, you know, the pharmaceutical interests and things of that nature. But now I'm just realizing, you know, Buckminster Fuller said this, everyone is doing the best they can according to their level of consciousness. Um so obviously the doctors that I've met and people such as yourself that I've met, um, they've run into all sorts of obstacles in terms of having their work accepted. But at the same time, they find a way to forge forge through it, and um, you know they they still manage to help people. And I'm convinced, although it may not be apparent in society, I'm convinced that we're moving into you know greater greater levels of freedom. Uh, a lot of people right now are very, very pessimistic and, you know, upset about this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it seems like getting upset is a new trend. <laughs> if you can't find something to be upset about, you're not you're not part of the trend. But underneath it all, um, I just see a lot of light and love coming into the planet. And, you know, I'm fortunate because I, ha- I come from a large family. I'm the oldest of 12 kids, and um, I'm not married. I don't have any children, but my siblings a lot of my siblings have children and now they're child they're having children and 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 so i have nieces and nephews and grandnieces and grandnephews and i'm around kids a lot 
And I just see so much light, so much love in these kids. And they're not losing it when they start, you know, kindergarten or fifth grade, which was what pretty much happened in my generation for most people. They're, they're just, there's, there's, there's something about this new generation of souls that are coming into this planet that leaves me extremely optimistic. So that's my answer. I, I don't focus on the problems. I just think that everything is working out exactly the way it's supposed to. Uh, from the from a quote unquote divine plan, and um, we're here because we chose to be here. I mean, we we I'm convinced that we incarnate with a specific set of tasks and challenges that we give ourselves because we want to learn from those challenges and we want to grow and master what those challenges present us the opportunity to master. I'm drawn. Uh, well, I love the book you did on, uh, with me as a whole chapter. I was so flattered by that. But three of your books, as I'm looking on Amazon, all of the books you've done and been involved with, Building Your Immune System, uh, Fasting, Immune System seems to be getting the hit and sort of causing all the other issues. The other one is American Holistic Medical Association Guide to Holistic Health. Uh, Talk a bit about those. Well, um I, I, I've never actually written a book on the immune system, but a lot of my books actually cover that because, as you said, that's that's extremely important. Um, what I'm now finding is that you know so much of our immune system is what's going on in our gut, in our digestive tract, and so uh, and you know as Richard alluded to a moment ago, there's so much stuff in our environment that's uh, impacting that negatively. Uh, so that's one of the challenges that we're all facing on this planet at this point in time is um, trying to figure out how to keep our, our guts healthy. And if you do that, you can pretty much do a lot in terms of keeping your immune system healthy. The American Holistic Medical Association book was um, – I'm deeply honored to do that book. That was the first book I wrote on my own after the guide, and it was the only book that the American Holistic Medical Association ever officially gave their imprimatur to. And um, – it was actually solicited. I, I didn't come up with the idea for the book. Uh, the, my publisher at that time, John Wiley and Sons, the, the editor there, editor-in-chief for the, the health book division, he had found out about me and um, through a mutual acquaintance got a hold of me and asked me if I wanted to write a book about the primary therapies of, quote-unquote, alternative medicine. And so that's what that book is about. And I'm very, very proud of it because um, it's now used as a medical textbook in colleges for a lot of medical schools which was never, you know, my intention as I wrote it. But, you know, it features not the contributions, they didn't write things, but, you know, I interviewed a lot of different doctors within the HMA, and uh, so their their, uh, information is in there. And I'm very, very proud of it. It's still in print. It's been out for, I think it came out in 2000 or 2001, something like that, maybe even earlier. Um, But as I said, my books are, they, they, they run the gamut. You know, and lately I've done this this food trilogy, which um, the reason I did that was because um, it, it you know in in scope it's 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 pretty mundane compared to some of the other books I've written about. But at the same time, again, it goes back to my focus on self help, and there are so many benefits that apple cider vinegar, uh, pure apple cider vinegar, with quote unquote the mother has, and and coconut oil has, and um, and now I'm. The research that's coming out about turmeric and particularly curcumin is just—it's incredibly uh, interesting because it has so many health benefits. So um, 
I enjoyed writing those books. It, I had to do more research, believe it or not, to write those books than most of the other books I've ever written because I really didn't know a lot about them. My publisher, actually, uh, it was his idea for me to do the books, so I agreed. And so, okay, well, now i got to learn what, this, what, the, what, what, what and how these things work, so I did. Uh, so there's okay. a lot of end notes in the books, a lot of research links and stuff like that. And I see two books here, now that I see there's sort of, I don't know if they're part of the trilogy or not, where you're talking about acid alkaline, you're talking about the acid alkaline lifestyle, and then the acid alkaline food guide. Well, what those, those your, came out earlier. What in your research, yeah, what in your research led you to looking at acid alkaline? Was that food uh, again, combining, that, or was that just your uh, own? No, actually, yeah. again, that was another book that was uh, suggested to me um i had ghost written a book i'm not going to name him but he's very well known because he's the trainer for a very well-known athlete uh and mm. <laughs> uh, anyway life story short i ghost wrote a book about acid alkalinity i'm not even going to mention the name of the book um but it turned out <laughs> my again my publisher called me up and says listen this i got this guy and he needs a ghost writer and i want you to do the book and i said okay well, I don't know anything about this, so put me in touch with him. Let's have a conference call. So we did, and he, I said, I told him it was a, it was a man. That's all I'm going to admit, but admit to it. Anyway, I said, well, you know, I'm, I don't know anything about this, so you're going to have to send me information. Oh, I have reams of information. So he, um, he sent me overnight this package, and I started to read it, and it really wasn't that in-depth. I started reading it over and over, and I said, this looks really familiar. Where have I read this before? It turned out he had plagiarized the whole chapter I'd written on diet and alternative medicine to definitive guys. So I called my editor, my publisher, and I said, well, guess what? I don't think this guy's going to be helping me too much. So, But he asked me to still do the book, so I had to learn about it. And I did. I, I did. I, I, I really did. Uh, do a lot of research on it, and I wrote the book. And then once the book came out, my publisher, you know, he's become a good friend of mine, this one particular publisher I work with. Anyway, he said, you know what would really sell is a book on the the pH effects on foods and beverages. And I said, well, yeah. Well, I can't do that book. I don't have that research. And he said, well, I think you should. I think you should do it. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I know the person that is an expert in this field. Her name is Dr. Susan Brown. Why don't I contact her and see if she's interested in having us do it? Well, she was, and Susan's a wonderful woman. Um, her One of her websites is betterbones.com because uh, osteoporosis was one of the first things she she started to tell women what they could do to prevent. But anyway, she's 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 researched this very very thoroughly so she she provided the charts that are in that book and again i i learned from her and did more research and so that book came out that's actually one of my best selling titles it's of all time it's closing in at 200,000 copies sold it's gone through two editions we'll probably update it down the road um and then the acid alkaline food uh lifestyle rather was just a book that i i pitched to to my publisher based on you know, because it's not just diet. You obviously have to have the whole lifestyle, and that includes what else you're doing physically and mentally, emotionally. Um, but to answer, I think, the question you were going to ask me, what I think about the acid alkaline diet is it's very important, 
but I no longer think it's the most important thing. I, I really think the ancient Chinese and the ancient Indias in Ayurvedic medicine really knew what they were talking about when they were talking about specific metabolic types. That's not the term they used, but different diets that are individualized for a person's unique makeup. And so I think that the, you can't go wrong to follow a primarily alkalizing diet, but some people need more protein, need more meat than others. Some people thrive on a vegetarian diet that's uh, you know primarily plant-based and alkalizing. Other people, well, it, it, that's the worst diet they could possibly be on. I happen to be one of them because I was a vegetarian unknowingly <laughs> affecting my health in the 80s. Um, but so I think it's very important to find out what type of uh, nutritional biochemical uh, makeup you have and and you can easily find this out just by noticing what the effects are of the food that you eat not only as you're eating it but you know within the rest of the day you can keep a a food journal for instance and just note what you ate what you drank and then know what you felt you know did you have energy an hour later did you feel like taking a nap or did you have stomach pain or you know things of that nature those are your clues and if you pay attention to your body, you can easily, if you really honor your body, your body will tell you, this is what I like to eat. This is what I like to drink. Don't give me the other stuff. You know, one man's food is another, per- another person's poison. We we are out of time, but we're going to run over time because I want to know how you came up with your monster book, which I love, Monster <laughs> and Credit Vice. It's just Thank like you. out of nowhere, but it's so beautiful. Thank you. Actually, I wrote that book in the 80s. And um, and I could never get it published. I had agent, and it kept. I kept getting the same response. You work really wonderfully well, but this doesn't fit our market. Blah 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 blah. And during the 80s, as I said, I was doing a lot of odd jobs, so I never had a quote unquote career. I didn't want one. And my father, <clears throat> who grew up, you know, born to depression, and was the first person in his family to put himself to college and became extremely successful in his career. He was one day he called me up and I could just tell in his voice he was really, really concerned about my lack of quote unquote a career. And I had never really shared with him my, my fiction writing. Um and it just kinda made me sad that he was so concerned about me when I had no concerns whatsoever. I was enjoying my life and I I was doing what I knew I needed to be doing. So I sat down that night. I just literally finished writing the novel at that time, and I um, I went to, back then you needed a Xerox machine, and I went to Kinko's, and I made a copy, and I wrote him a letter. I said, Dad, I, you don't need to worry about me, and I'm I'm being productive, and this is, you know, this is what I'm doing in my when I'm not working. And so I sent it to him, and he called me up and said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your letter, and, um, you know, I don't normally read books like this, but I promise one day, one day I will read it. And I said, Dad, I don't really care if you read it or not. I just wanted to let you know I'm being productive. He said, okay, I appreciate that. And then the following day, Sherry, he called me up early in the morning, and he said, Larry, I'm not telling you this because you're my son, but before I went to bed, I decided I would read a chapter, and I stayed up all night. I couldn't put it down. I had no idea you had this talent. And, you know, it was just the best praise I ever got because it was coming from my dad. And... um but I could never get the I could never get the book published, and so uh, he passed away uh, quite suddenly a couple of years ago. And as a as a, I, I started to remember that moment, I just decided, well, I'm going to publish it. And so I I intended to self-publish it, not knowing, you know, because my career is nonfiction. Um, 
and out of the blue, I, you know, how life works, I just got this email. I subscribe to these different writers, newsletters and stuff, and there was a, a small publisher down in Florida that was looking for, for new manuscripts, and something just told me to contact them, and I did, and they chose to publish it. So it has come out, and, you know, it's not setting any sales records, but everybody that's read it, the feedback I've gotten, they just absolutely love it. So it's very gratifying, and down the road I intend to uh, publish more fiction because that was my first love. It's about a 10-year-old little boy who gets to be the hero and gets to teach the town about truth and integrity. And well, he he's not the only hero. The monster's the hero, too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It was just the ideas popped in my head, as my ideas normally do, and I was just was just compelled to start writing about it. I just had this idea about this king who lost his wife and didn't want to remarry because he was he just never thought he could find another woman that he loved as much as his wife, the queen. And so, uh, meantime, the uh, the. the <laughs> <laughs> the people he ruled, you know, they were like, well, what happens when you die? You know, we need we need an heir. And um, he came across this orphan boy named Freddie and he adopted him. He became the heir, and then that led to uh, a palace coup. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the antagonist didn't like the fact that there was an heir, and so uh, he kidnapped Freddie and put him in the middle of this terrible, seemingly terrible forest, and uh, this mysterious garden started. Guardian started to look over Freddie until Freddie finally found out who he was, and 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 um, it turned out to be quote unquote the monster who ended up becoming his ally and saved the day. Um, What's so awesome about it? I started reading it to the little kids in the family, and the bigger kids all came around and just <laughs> became involved um, with it. It just was. It's just an incredible story. Thank you well, for I, I, I love that. I love that feedback. And, and I've gotten, I'm not bragging, but I have gotten a lot of feedback like that. In fact, a number of parents have come up to me, people I don't know that they found out I wrote the book, and they said, I can't get my kids to read for, to save my save their lives. But they found that book, and they wouldn't put it down. And, you know, it, that to me is, I actually, I, I get more gratification these days from that than people telling me that my books have saved their health. Because, uh, you know, as a kid, that was, uh, you know, <laughs> reading reading is what set me on my path. And, again, I owe that to my parents. My mother my mother recognized my ability to write very, very early on, and so she was always buying me books. And my father, by his example, writing the, the math books that he did on top of the busy schedule he had as a math professor and also a, he ended his career in the Army Reserves as a full colonel, which was a tremendous time commitment as well. But he 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 showed me by his example the discipline that it took to be a writer, which is you know you sit down every day and you write. You you don't make excuses. You don't wait for inspiration. You 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 just perspire until the inspiration shows up. And uh, so I'm honoring them, and I'm I'm honoring the child in me that you know loved books from the time I was about four years old. I would suggest that everybody go to Amazon and look up Larry. Trivieri, T-R-I-V-I-E-R-I, Larry Trivieri, Jr., and it would probably take you a year to get through his books. 
I would also like because we didn't we we probably haven't had time. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll stay online as long as you want me to, but we haven't answered any questions. If there are people that would like to contact me via email, I'd like to give out. This is this is not my primary email. It's just for people who want to ask me questions based on this podcast, a radio show. Um, they can write me at Larry Triv. That's Larry T R I V at write dot me. That's W R I T E dot me. And uh, I, I will answer any and all emails. So uh, if there's a large audience out there, feel free to bombard me with emails. I'll be happy to uh, to respond to you. Thank all of you. We're getting some great uh, feedback. Excellent show. Wonderful. Love to hear it. Want to know more uh, from his perspective? What's the most urgent health issues? How can we answer that? So there's a lot of questions that'll be coming your way. Good. I'd be happy to. Thank, um, thank you, Larry. Thank you. It's been my honor, and keep up the good work you're doing, uh, Sherry and Richard. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I hope that uh, we meet in person one of these days. It's going to happen. I, hope I see us all being in a vortex somewhere. I don't know where it is. But somewhere. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It'll be a great conversation, that's for sure. <laughs> thank you um, very much. I'd be happy to come on anytime you want me. Thank you, Larry. So many questions, so little time. We didn't even talk about coconuts. We're not now. All I'll say about coconuts is don't believe the AMA. Uh, um, You know, because they came out, as I was finishing the book, they came out and said it's terrible and it's this and it's that. And, um, Um, you know, so as I pointed out in the book, I said, well, do you really want to take advice from an organization that was telling people to eat margarine, which has the chemical, it's the same chemical component of plastic? (laughs) So, yeah. uh, yeah, no, coconuts have tremendous That's a good benefits. Hook. That's a good hook for our next show. Same chemical yeah. as plastic. That's great. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody. That was great. And uh, to, to find this show, which if you want to listen to this again, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on the Blog Talk Archive player. About 10 minutes after I click end show and you hear the music, the show will probably be there for review. And you'll also be able to find it by going to iTunes or any of your podcast aggregators of choice, Pocket Cast, Dog Catcher, there's a lot of them now, and search for Sherry Edwards, and our over 700 and some odd shows will show up, and this will will be at the top. So that was great. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, both of you. That was fun. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on Sunday. I don't know at this moment. We'll see you Sunday. All right, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye. We never know who the guest is. Thank you, audience, (laughs) for being here. Um, Thank you for your questions. We love it that we're all a family and you all support each other. So later. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.